So, today we've got a theme of love in freedom. And this week, I've been really dwelling a lot, beginning of the week, on stuff that uh, Pastor Craig spoke about last week, and, and the gospel reading. And then, as we have that flip in the assigned readings to prepare for what's coming today, uh, through Thursday, Friday, and, and yesterday, just trying to get to grips with what God's maybe saying through these passages of Scripture that we've had today. But last Sunday, the gospel reading, I still, I'm still grasping at the fact that Jesus isn't sat idly at the right hand of God, but that he is active, that he is still working fully in preparing a room for all the people who say yes to following him. I just want to bring that, bring that in. That if, if anybody recognizes his lordship, he's making a place for them to spend eternity. And that's just... At times, overwhelming. Um, but it's just such fantastic news to hear. So I just wanted to start off with that, in all that preparation stuff, and all the reflecting on last week, and to move into what is our key verse, really, from the Scripture uh, today, from the Gospel message, that Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. But before he says that, Going back to verses 12, I just want to read those first few verses that have come before that uh, and talk to those briefly before we hit the key verse. Uh, he says, starting from verse 12, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if... In my name you ask for anything, I will do it. So Jesus says, if you ask for anything in his name, he will do it. But that doesn't mean you can pray and then just say, in Jesus' name, and it's going to definitely happen. Because that's not what he's saying. That's not what he means here. Because if that was the case... I'd be on my knees saying, oh, in Jesus' name, I want a Bentley. Bring me a Bentley, Lord, in Jesus' name. Right? Does that happen? Does that work? No, it doesn't. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? I'm getting dirty looks from my wife. Because <laughs> I've, been, I've been saying, I want a Bentley. <laughs> I want a Bentley. She got a Bentley. She got a dog, and the dog's called Bentley. And his full pedigree name is, I should have bought a Bentley. Well, I wish I had the money to buy a Bentley, you know? So uh, she took me off my, off my train of thought a little bit there. But uh, yeah, that's not how it works. What does Jesus mean when he says, ask for something in my name? He means, ask for something that is in line with my character. Ask for something that is in line with my character. And as I start talking about this a bit, I'm, I'm reminded of my countryman, William Shakespeare, the play Romeo and Juliet, and Juliet's balcony scene where she says, what's in the name? 
Would a rose smell as sweet if it was called by any other name? And Shakespeare there, as is the case today, is trying to get to the fact that the name we actually don't pay much attention to. We actually don't seem to care too much about what something is called or what someone is called. We care more about what they're about or what the thing does. But in the ancient world, the name really, really mattered. It really mattered. It's like if you shared your name with somebody, you were giving them a part of yourself. If you shared your name with someone, you were introducing them to your, your heritage, to your family, to your identity. And also having this thought of, I don't, I don't hear many people doing it now, but my grandparents, um, when they were alive, we'd, we'd be walking through the town when I visited the village or, or the town they lived in, and there'd be a new baby. And of course, in, in the village they lived, they knew everybody. My grandfather used to own a shop before he retired. And um, they'd go, oh, it's a new baby. And they'd, they, you know, they'd bless the baby, and tradition is to put some money in the crib uh, in, in England. And, and they'd oh, what did you call him? And they'd be like, oh, Bill? Oh, doesn't look like a Bill, right? I don't hear people doing it so much. I don't know if they used to do it here, uh, ever. But it'd be like, no, it doesn't look like a... Or you wait for the kid to be born, and he's like, oh, I was going to call her Jane, but she doesn't look like a Jane. <laughs> what am I going to call her now, right? The name, it matters more than we actually give it credit for mattering. And when it comes to Jesus, and he says, pray in my name, he's saying, know me. Know what I'm about. Know my values. Know my, my meaning. Know my purpose. Know who I am. And pray that, so that your prayer is in line with all that we are about. Your prayer is in line with the Father's will. And you think scripturally, key example of that is uh, Abraham and Sarai. And how through development of relationship with God and going into covenantal identity, God says to them, you've got new names now. Now you're Abraham and Sarah, because your identity has changed and your name needs to reflect that. See, we're only ever going to know how to pray in Jesus' name if we know Jesus. And if you want to know more about that or you're thinking more about that, I, I say go reflect again on Wendy's message from a couple of weeks ago. Praying in Jesus' name is praying for all things to bring glory to the Father. Praying in Jesus' name is, is saying, is this in line with his character? Then I'm going to pray it. And we move from that into the next part, the part that Stephen actually started with reading. You know, uh, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will keep my commandments. I don't know if any of you have ever thought, and I've heard some people say it, it would be easier to do this disciple thing if Jesus was still here. And we could talk to him. And we could, you know, ask him and he could tell us what to do. If you think that, 
I'm going to tell you, you've got to stop thinking that. Because scripture actually says the complete opposite. And Jesus' words that we've, we, we're concentrating on today in John 14, he tells us, I'm going to the Father, but an advocate's going to come. And actually, you're going to do greater things than I do now because I'm not going to be here. The Holy Spirit would not be here for us if Jesus was still here. So what's it easier, to follow Jesus if he was walking in front of us or to have Jesus in us, guiding, leading, and helping? It's the second. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's getting at. And that's what he's saying. You're going to get the Holy Spirit and he is going to move you on. And you're going to do great things. And that matters still today. We are called to do greater things than Jesus did as he walked this earth. What does he mean by that? We're going to take up our cross, which he calls us to do. We're going to follow him. And we are going to, the more we step into it, the more we believe in him and allow him to lead us and give our lives to him as Lord, submitting ourselves to him. We're called to be healing people. We're called to be even raising people from the dead where it is God's will. But again, it's all got to come back into in line with knowing Jesus, his character, his purpose, and the will of the Father, and praying in that way. And it's all because the Holy Spirit comes. It's all because as Jesus ascended, he told the, 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 the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait there for me. Wait there and you will have the Spirit come upon you. And what does the Spirit bring? Well, the Spirit brings really three things. Comfort, help, and defense. The, the reading that we have, the translation we use here, usually the NRSV, it says, Jesus says, I'm going to send an advocate. But your translation, if you've got a different one, it might use helper, it might use comforter, it might use defender, because that root word which advocate comes from is all of those things all of them so how does he help you how does he comfort you how does he defend you it's all vitally important that we really kind of look at that and dig into that as we concentrate on Jesus' words from verse 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments and that verse is read wrongly by a lot of people they kind of get the idea of it backwards. Excuse me, I'm going to need to take a quick drink. I was out this morning before anyone else got here brushing the junk off the paths and it got stuck in my throat a little bit. So it's not Jesus saying, like my mother used to, like many, many of your mothers may be used to, oh, you'd keep, your re you'd keep your room cleaned if you loved me, right? Or, or something of that ilk. It's not like um, as a spouse trying to kind of manipulate 
if you will, because of the love you know someone has for you and you have for them to try and get your way. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that if you love me, you're going to keep my commands because that's what, that's what happens when you're in a loving relationship. You do what is wanted, what is needed. And, and I've said this many times, um, and people, some people don't like it, and some people, it washes over their head. But the, the truth is, if you love God, you can do whatever you want to do. Why is that? Because if you love God, anything that you want to do will be in line with his will. So if you truly love God, you can do anything you want to do. And we have the theme there, love in freedom. We have this boundary of love. And we can do whatever we want that is within that boundary. Yet God gives us free will to step outside of that boundary if we want to. And sadly, I know people that have. But also, if anything that we know is within God's will, we've got free reign. We've got freedom to move within that boundary of his love. I've got people who say to me, oh, I've got two different jobs. Which one should I take? Which one does God want me to take? If they're both in line with God's will, I don't think he gives two hoots which one you take. Unless you feel him specifically calling you in one direction. But if one of them is clearly outside of his will, take the other one and remain in that boundary of love where there is freedom. See, love comes first. Following commandments comes as a result of love. It is not through following the commandments that we get to prove love. Jesus isn't asking us to prove our love for him. He's saying, if you love me, you're just going to show it. It's going to be natural. And we've got, because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, we now have the Holy Spirit that comes to do those things. Help us, comfort us, and defend us as our advocate. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It helps us to remain in that boundary of love. It guides us in our decision-making so that we get to make wise choices, comforting us, providing that, that inner strength to continue and to keep going. The word comfort, often used in a, in a sense of end of life, where we comfort those who have lost a loved one, or, or as a group, losing a loved one, you comfort each other. Think about what we do there. We provide strength and, and courage to continue, to move on, to, to keep going in life and not to wallow. The Spirit provides us that comfort in life, but also the Spirit provides for us defense. And kind of in two different ways. You think of, of Stephen before the Sanhedrin, which we've read a lot about this week in the in this, um, assigned readings. Or another reading for today is um, Paul, 
in Ephesus and seeing the altar to the unnamed God, and he gives a defense of God. Well, the Spirit is working through him to give that defense. And the Spirit works through each and every one of us to give a defense of our faith, as we need to be, as Peter wrote, ready to give an account for the hope that we have. But also the Spirit is our advocate defending us in front of the Father, reminding the Father that, one, we're kind of fallen beings, two, our heart's in the right place, and three, God's spoken a truth over us that cannot be taken away. So the Spirit is interceding for you with the Father and also helping you to provide a defense for your faith. See, the Spirit is here in our life for all who say yes to Jesus. But it's about His Lordship that we learn more so we know how to pray. We know what to pray. So today, I kind of want to give you all space because there's, there's something, and I'm sure of it, there is something in your life which you haven't yet allowed Jesus to be Lord of. There's probably many things but I think there's something today that he wants you to give to him. Could be something small. Could be something huge. But the more we give to Jesus, the more we get to know Jesus. I think covenantal relationship Jesus put everything on the table. He gave his life so that we could live. And if we're going to take covenantal relationships seriously, we need to give everything that we have and put it on the table too and say, God, that's yours. Will we get there fully? Probably not. We're fallen beings and we like to still be our own boss here and there. But he's saying... We've got to put it all out there. And so to start today, what can you give to him that you were holding on to when you came through those doors? What is there that he's saying, just put it out. Just give it to me. We'll work out the rest. Just, just let go. So I want to invite the band back up to help us in just thinking and responding in this way but thinking of the spirit as a help as a comforter and as a defender takes me to the old liturgy setting of the Kyrie where, where, where the prayer is declared help, save and comfort and defend us gracious Lord so let's be praying for that help that comfort, that defense and let's be offering up to him who is Lord. Let's make him Lord of this place. Let's make him Lord of our heart. Let's make him Lord of our lives.